2016, Kim Kardashian was on the cusp of legitimacy. She was making millions, scoring magazine covers, and sitting front row at Paris Fashion Week. She was also about to experience firsthand the ultimate danger of life as a celebrity. Welcome to Scandal from Shameless podcast, the stories of the biggest celebrity controversies revisited. Hello. Hello. This is the first episode, Mish, in a two-part series. I mean, as so many of our listeners will know, Kim's Paris robbery was one of the biggest celebrity stories of the 2010s. And it's so interesting to me because I do kind of feel like we don't talk about it that much anymore. Absolutely. It's so funny to look back and kind of centre ourselves in this time because the Paris robbery was such a huge story. But as far as the Kardashians are concerned, I feel like there are constantly other scandals erupting, constantly other things happening, particularly like I think Tristan Thompson stands out. The Kanye West and Kim Kardashian divorce stands out in particular. That this is kind of just evaporated into thin air. No one really mentions the Paris robbery. Yeah, and I think after we did Kim's 72-day marriage, that was one of the first scandals that we actually did, we had an influx of requests from people to deep dive this robbery, like how it happened, how the world reacted, how French police eventually caught the criminals. But I think what we needed to do, obviously, is leave some space between the Kim Kardashian scandals and uh, give ourselves some time to really think about this properly because I think what's really interesting to me is it was 2016, Mm. we were working in the media, we were fully across this story, but I had forgotten so many elements of it. Yeah, I think as well what I find so fascinating about any Kardashian scandal series, we've done a few now, is that when you dip back into the lives of these women, even if you're only going five or six years back, it does feel like you're talking about a completely different person. I think Kim Kardashian has definitely kind of re-engineered and rediscovered who she is every three to four years. So there's kind of like chapters across her life that feel completely distinct and separate from each other. Well, this won't be a spoiler, but I do want to say what's really interesting about researching a time as recent as 2016 is realising how much has changed. Mm. The conversations we were having in 2016 are ones we would not be having now. There's so much of that through this episode, so I can't wait to get into it. So with that in mind, Mish, let us rewind all the way back to 2016. All right, Zara, we've introduced Kim Kardashian in that original Scandal series, as you said before. So let's kind of reset. Where was Kim in 2016? I would say she was kind of on the precipice of like total celebrity world domination. Absolutely. At this point in her career, Kim Kardashian was really, really, really starting to make it. Of course, like we know she'd been making it for a little while now and was raking in cash as she went. But by 2016, she was starting to appear slightly more legit maybe in the eyes of the public. Yeah, that said, it was really interesting to go back and kind of set our time period 2016 and read articles because the likes of The Guardian would still open every article about Kim Kardashian by mentioning her sex tape, which is so funny. All of these publications still felt the need to get the sex tape out of the way, say she was originally kind of in the public eye or she kind of 
burst to fame because of the sex tape before listing all of the other things that she did. So this particular Guardian article mentioned Ray J, mentioned that 2003 sex tape, but then began to kind of nod to everything else Kim had going on. Her clothing lines, her iPhone games. Do you remember Kim Kardashian Hollywood? Yeah, very like vaguely. That was all the rage in 2016. Her Kimojis, Kim themed emojis. Definitely remember the Kimojis. Yep. And then of course she had the reality show and was, as The Guardian put it, a one-person advertising agency to her multi-million Twitter and Instagram followers. At this point in time, she had about 67 mil on Instagram and about 43 million on Twitter. Doesn't sound like that many, does it? Not compared to now. In the grand scheme of things now. The continual mentioning of that sex tape, by the way, was really starting to get to Kim at this point in her career. For example, for International Women's Day that year, Kim actually penned an open letter begging the public to move on from her tape. She wrote this on her personal blog, Mm. just as a bit of a time warp. (laughs) She wrote, it always seems to come back around to my sex tape. Yes, a sex tape that was made 13 years ago. 13 years ago, literally that long ago, and people still want to talk about it. I lived through the embarrassment and fear and decided to say, who cares? Do better, move on. I shouldn't have to constantly be on the defense, listing off my accomplishments just to prove that I'm more than something that happened 13 years ago. Let's move on already. I have. It's 2016. The body shaming and the slut shaming, it's like enough is enough. I will not live my life dictated by the issues you have with my sexuality. You be you and let me be me. I actually love that. That's kind of ahead of its time, dare I say, for 2016. Like a lot of people were really slut shaming Kim for that sex tape. And at the time, I don't think we were really in a place where we were openly accepting women expressing their sexuality on the internet. I love you lots, but I think <laughs> I, I, I know that you're in Kim's camp constantly. She's in my past basket. It was 2016. It wasn't 2005. The world was definitely different and we will get to ways conversations were different. I wouldn't say that this was totally revolutionary for its time. Oh, no, she was not no. revolutionary. Maybe I you overstated. Said it was ahead of its time. I think she was <laughs> ahead of her time in openly accepting her sexuality and expressing sexuality on the internet and being unashamed about that. Perhaps, or perhaps a lot of people were doing it around the same time, to be honest, but it took us a long time to accept women being naked on the internet. This is well before the OnlyFans so kind fair. of thing. Maybe the reason I'm thinking about this is because it was only a few weeks after that International Women's Day blog post that she did that topless selfie with Emrata yep. in the bathroom and that photo of just two women. And by the way, it was no like explicit nudity. They had a black bar edited yeah. across their nipples. That photo sparked so much controversy. Like... I cannot remember an image on the internet that people felt so viscerally and so divided about other than that Kim and Emrata photo. It's so funny because when we were doing the research for this, when that photo came up because we were trying to place Kim in 2016, I looked at you and I said, what else was about that? Like that photo went so viral. There must have been more to it. There must have been a caption Mm. that was fucked. There must have been more to it. There wasn't anything more to it. We were just outraged by the photo and I think for me it is kind of crazy to look back on this image and think what were we so shocked about and I think what so many people tried to do around this time was link quotes Kim had said in the past about being naked as empowering to her to this image and say this image is not empowering yeah it was a very political conversation it was super political and the debate was kind of like well you posting a topless selfie is not empowering to me a person halfway across the world or whatever sitting at my laptop when 
In reality, I don't think Kim Kardashian was ever trying to say that her taking a naked selfie was some good deed for women all over the world. She was just saying she likes taking naked selfies. She feels good about it. Can everyone else either leave her alone or move on? So very, very interesting to look back at that. But as we said, Zara, this was a time in history where Kim was starting to make strides, particularly in the digital space. In July, she actually made the cover of Forbes magazine with a massive headline that read, The New Mobile Moguls. It turned out that by that point, Kim had generated $45 million from that Kim Kardashian Hollywood app. Yeah, so in very small increments, Kim was starting to be seen as, I guess, pretty savvy and business-minded. The Guardian wrote around this time, her fame is, within the context of fame itself, brand new. It is multi-causal and hugely complex, and it is ours as much as hers. Why? Because whether we love or hate her, we cannot get enough. Yeah, at this point in time as well, we need to recap, Kim had been with her then-husband Kanye West since 2011. She married him in 2014. By 2016, the year we're deep diving today, they actually had two children together. They had North and Saint. Kanye West, though, at this point in time, Zara, was really credited with kind of giving Kim a fashionable, cooler edge. Yeah, I think he was definitely credited for making her like a cultural and fashion icon. I mean, never forget that story of Kim Kardashian telling the media about how Kanye threw out basically everything in her wardrobe only to give her an entirely new one that he approved of. I do have to say, I think now in 2022, we know maybe that dynamic was perhaps a little bit more toxic than we knew it was at the time. Yeah. But in an interview with CNN Style in 2015, she said, I really think my relationship with my husband Kanye has changed everything. I mean, back in the day, I thought I had the best style. I look back at outfits and I'm like mortified. (laughs) I love my husband's opinion, so I always ask his opinion on everything and he always helps me put together my looks. Kanye sees my body obviously every day so he can understand what works well in my body type. It's been really fun to dress and we try things that work and some things that don't. As you said, a lot has come to light about this dynamic between Kim and Kanye, particularly on the recent season of The Kardashians. It got to the point in their marriage, I'm guessing around this time but also right up until the end, where Kanye dictated every single thing Kim wore. And if Kim wore something he didn't like, he made that very, very clear. Yeah, and you have to wonder, like, did it all start with pure intentions and then just get more and more intense as it went on? Or was it always this intense? I mean, around this time as well, Complex Magazine wrote how Kanye West helped Kim Kardashian unlock her swag. (laughs) Which I guess, you know, it was around this time that Kim Kardashian was starting to get a bit cooler I guess. Yeah and it was also around this time that Kanye was making a name for himself not just as like a fashion icon and influencer but as a designer. He did an interview with GQ in 2016 where he said to a reporter what designer on the planet can sell consistently 40,000 shoes in two minutes. He was obviously (laughs) talking about himself. Not to take anything away from him it's impressive what he's done with Yeezy but He has always known that he's been pretty good at the same time. He has always known he has been pretty good, but that's also probably because (laughs) he is quite talented at many things. (laughs) By 2016, Kim, Kendall, Kylie and Chris were all finding themselves on the Met Gala guest list, of course, including Kanye. 
2016 was also the year for context that Kendall Jenner scored her very first Vogue cover, made her the first member of the family to grace the cover solo. Yeah, and a lot of that was penned down. I didn't realise this until we kind of went back and researched it. Even at the time, a lot of people penned that down to Kanye having great connections in the fashion industry and really pushing the entire family to go, we want to create a dynasty and that dynasty needs to be recognised in elite fashion circles. It's so interesting, isn't it? I mean, Vogue also published an article around this time arguing why Kim Kardashian should win the CFDA's Fashion Icon Award that year. They wrote, the Kim Kardashian West effect is real. Some Kimisms that are currently sweeping fashion include head-to-toe neutrals, the decolletage showcasing off-the-shoulder coat, pointy-toed thigh-high boots and bien sûr, the naked dress. Could the sculpted jackets and hourglass dress at Balenciaga and Celine have been designed with an eye for her pneumatic curves? Possibly. Numerically speaking, Kim Kardashian West's only rival for this year's fashion icon prize is none other than her husband. Yeah. I mean, if Vogue is saying that, you're doing something, right? It's impressive. I I am thinking back to the days where Anna Wintour didn't want to invite her to the Met Gala and she only got invited as a plus one to Kanye. Yep. To now. And that was only in 2013. So this was three years later and Vogue was saying she's the fashion icon of the year and if it's not her, it's her husband. Vogue was incorrect. The award ended up going to Beyonce. But obviously Kim's status as one of the most respected people or maybe one of the most influential people in the fashion space was cemented. Yeah, and so that brings us to Paris Fashion Week in late September 2016. Now, Paris Fashion Week began on September 26 and ran for a week. The celebrity media, as is unsurprising, was on Kim's tail mish as soon as she arrived. Yeah, so hordes of paparazzi were actually waiting for her at the airport. She arrived via private jet at 10.40 in the morning on September 28th, so two days into Fashion Week starting. She was there with her assistant, Stephanie Shepard, and her German bodyguard, Pascal Duvier. Now, paparazzi followed Kim from the moment she got off that private jet all the way until she reached her hotel. Yeah, here's a snippet from Vanity Fair that spoke about this point in time. When her van pulled up to the Hotel de Portolet behind the Madeleine Church, trailing paparazzi weren't surprised. They had staked out many famous guests there, including Prince, who supposedly booked the entire hotel for a party shortly after its 2010 opening. Other previous guests have included Madonna, Beyonce and Jay-Z, Leonardo DiCaprio and Marion Cotillard. So if you're a celebrity, you're going to be staying here. Yes. And it's weird because this hotel is locally known as the No Address Hotel. It's like a series of nine luxury apartments that celebrities frequented because the location was incredibly discreet and the overwhelming vibe was like exclusive. It's also known as the No Name Hotel. So no website, no real like front facing presence, right? It's kind of like a secret, not a secret club, but like a secret in crowd that can go to this hotel. Well, what I find really fascinating is a lot of the reports at the time said, you know, this is a really exclusive hotel. There is no website, anything like that. But I can find a website today. So I wonder if a lot's changed in the last sort of six years, but certainly at the time media reports were saying it was very underground. Now it's kind of like less hotel, more like private short-term acom, I think. Right, okay. If that helps people understand it. Here's how the website today describes its own accommodation in two lines. In the prestigious neighbourhood of the Madeleine, Portelet offers its clientele a selection of nine exceptional suites and two luxury rooms in complete privacy. Eleven contemporary Parisian apartments as private as they are vibrant. Mm. So the real focus here is 
privacy, you're going to be hidden away. And obviously when you're an A-lister, that's exactly what you want. Yeah, well, according to Condé Nast Traveller, there's no plaque on the wall and no buzzer to ring and no security outside the massive red door. Instead, the building has a private entrance from an underground parking lot. It's completely unassuming from straight view. I feel like a lot of people would walk past this hotel, maybe not anymore, but certainly pre-robbery, and absolutely have no idea that some of the most famous people in the world would be staying behind a really discreet red door. The issue is that if you have paparazzi following you from the private airport right until you reach this residence, like the privacy element of everything is kind of eroded away a little bit. Exactly. That's what's so interesting. And I think the other part about this is to be admitted into this hotel, according to to Vanity Fair, you either have to be famous or rich and referred to by somebody else who stayed there. So it's like a real <laughs> secret club. So you and I are never staying here? No, unless we can kind of cozy up someone like Leonardo DiCaprio. <laughs> oh, maybe one day we've got time. Unsurprisingly, this place is not cheap if you want to stay in one of these 1,000 square foot rooms, or it goes all the way up, sorry, to 3,800 square feet. You're looking at paying 18,000 euro A night. Yeah, and that's the room that Kim was staying in. I think it was closer to 16,900 back in 2016. Oh, she's got the stats. She's got the figures. That's inflation for you, but it's certainly 18,000 today. And it wasn't, we should say, the first time that Kim had stayed in this apartment. This wasn't brand new accommodation for her. According to Us Magazine, this hotel is a home away from home for Kim Kardashian and Kanye West. The pair famously stayed there in May 2014 during their pre-wedding celebrations. Yeah, Zara, what went down in that apartment? is something that changed Kim Kardashian's life forever. We will get to more of those details, though, after the break. Alrighty, Mish. So anyone that follows fashion will know that many of the massive fashion weeks in key cities fall in consecutive weeks in September. For example, this year... New York will run as the first fashion week at the beginning of September, then you'll have London, then you'll have Milan, then you'll have Paris. It's like the golden month of fashion. Be tiring to be a supermodel. And so tiring to work in fashion around this time, to be travelling that much and to be sitting through this many shows. Now, the week before Kim landed in Paris, many celebrities descended on Milan for Milan Fashion Week and one of those celebrities was Gigi who did stay with us for this little tangent because it's important. It's important. We come back to why in a little bit. You might remember this was the Milan Fashion Week where Gigi Gigi Hadid was actually accosted by a former Ukrainian television reporter. He actually picked her up as she was walking out of a show with her sister Bella. A video posted on TMZ showed this guy grabbing Gigi from behind and lifting her off the ground. Now, Gigi reacted how I think we would probably all react by yelling and kind of wriggling out of his grip saying, let go of me. She understandably swore a heap as well. Yeah. Now, in an email to the Associated Press, the former Ukrainian Ukrainian television reporter Vitaly Sedewick said it was he who pulled off the stunt, confirming he pulled stunts off like this for a purpose. For a purpose. Or a a reason. (laughs) He said... Well, I consider Gigi Hadid beautiful. She and her friend Kendall Jenner have nothing to do with high fashion. By doing this, I encourage the fashion industry to put true talents on the runway and Vogue covers instead of well-connected cute girls from Instagram. You can call it a manifest or a protest. (laughs) He also said that he objected to having the Kardashians featured in Vogue magazine. I have a lot of questions about Fatali and exactly who this guy is. I was expecting before we researched this story 
that he would be someone who was in the upper echelons of fashion or like worked at a fashion bible or something. He was a television reporter. Bizarre. And I think you guys might be listening to this saying, okay, well, why is this relevant to this story? Well, this story was all over the news after Milan Fashion Week. Then they ran straight into Paris Fashion Week. And when Kim Kardashian arrived in Paris... This guy targeted her too. Yeah, according to News.com, the serial pest was caught on camera slipping past the reality TV star's entourage and trying to kiss her backside as she walked to a Belmont show in Paris. Now, when he did this to Kim, her security guard thankfully leapt to her defence and kind of crash-tackled him to the ground. I don't think Vitaly actually made contact with Kim whatsoever, but he could have and that would have been very confronting. Yeah, Kim later thanked her body bodyguard Pascal tweeting, my security is a G. Yeah, TMZ reported that Kim was planning to file a report with Paris police in the immediate aftermath of that incident. She was also reportedly considering getting a restraining order against that television reporter. So even before the most dramatic evening of her life, it's fair to say that Paris Fashion Week was a little chaotic for Kim Kardashian already. Yeah, Now, according to E! News, Kim spent Paris Fashion Week doing exactly what you'd expect. She was attending so many of the fashion shows. She attended Balmain on her second day in the city with sister Courtney and mum Chris. She then went to Off-White with Kanye that night. By day three, which was a Friday, she attended an industry event. On Saturday, she actually organised a birthday dinner for her longtime friend and makeup artist Mario. Makeup by Mario. Yes, exactly. On Sunday, she attended the Balenciaga show, then later the Givenchy show. And as she got ready for Givenchy, she posted a series of Instagram stories for Vogue magazine from her hotel room, Mish. Yeah, and after Givenchy, she then headed to a dinner at a designer's home. After that dinner, she posted a video to Snapchat of her FaceTiming her brother Rob Kardashian's then-partner Black China from her hotel room. Again, Another universe, another blast from the past in the world of the Kardashians. So it was Black China and Rob's baby shower. And obviously Kim couldn't attend because she was at Paris Fashion Week. So she was kind of winding down for the night. She was in a robe. She was essentially makeup free. And she was on video back to those guys at home. Yeah, exactly. I think let's have a quick interlude, if we can, for Kim's presence on Snapchat Mm. around this time. Because Kim's involvement with Snapchat and her dedication and a commitment to that social media platform, which is an app that demands real-time instant updates with what you're doing and where you are, literally only kicked off in 2016. Yeah, she only joined the app in March and she was very prolific with her activities straight away. Like lots of people were following Kim on Snapchat too. In June 2016, so only a few months after she joined, Snapchat actually invited her to their headquarters to acknowledge her formally as one of their most followed personalities worldwide. They never released follower accounts, which is an interesting decision on behalf of Snapchat. But Kim Kardashian, along with Kylie Jenner, were considered to be what Vanity Fair described as a reigning dominant force on the platform. Yeah. And I think the thing about Kim Kardashian and Snapchat is she was becoming synonymous almost with the platform because some of the juiciest real-time Kim Kardashian gossip was unfurling on Snapchat. She was using that as her method of choice or her 
vessel of choice to get gossip out into the stratosphere. Yeah, well, who can forget, and we touched on this in our Taylor Swift series, that in July 2016, Kim published that now infamous recording of Taylor Swift ostensibly approving the lyrics to Kanye West's song, Famous. Now, I'll give a very brief synopsis. Kanye West wrote a song that involved Taylor Swift in parts. He called her to get some of the lyrics that concerned Taylor approved. Not all of the lyrics, but some of them. Kim secretly recorded that conversation. When Taylor Swift then came out to admonish Kanye West for saying that he made her famous in this song, Kim took to her Snapchat and shared the video of the conversation to the entire world. Not only did she do that, she then took to her other social media channels, particularly Twitter, and beckoned her followers to follow her on Snapchat so they could see this video for themselves. Yes, absolutely. And I think at this point in time, not only was she using Snapchat all the time, but she had like a messy vibe. Oh, she was messy. Remember when she tweeted out, wait, it's really International Snake Snake Day? Day. Yeah, 100%. And then I guess there's a day for everything, I mean everybody these yeah. days. Oh my God. That's printed in my brain as a Swifty, but I also do love Kim Kardashian, so it's a difficult feud for me to revisit. It, it really <laughs> is. The issue is with Snapchat is as we know, it's an app that demanded real-time posting of where Kim was and what she was doing. It's different to Instagram. Instagram, you can kind of take your content and upload mm. it later, but you cannot do that with Snapchat. Kim posted numerous Snapchats over a series of days that clearly showed parts of her Paris hotel room. In particular, and perhaps most concerningly, the hotel's windows, which Gizmodo noted were unique to the hotel and easily identifiable to those with good knowledge of the architecture in the area. You have to be so vigilant as a celebrity, don't you? Yeah. That little detail made me think a lot about how we recently saw Kim Photoshop the carpets in the hotels where she was staying. It makes a lot more sense when you think that so much as a unique window shape can tip people off as to where you are. Yeah, and she copped so much flack for that, Mm. you know, that photoshopping recently of corporate. But now you think about that in the context of this and it makes perfect sense. Mm. So by October, Snapchat was second nature to Kim Kardashian. It was where she documented everything and that's why the black china Snapchat sent from her hotel room is a pretty important detail. Yeah, because sometime after posting that Snapchat with black china on October 3rd around 2.30 in the morning, Kim Kardashian was robbed at gunpoint. It was her final night in Paris, having been in the city for five nights. According to local publication France 24, this was the biggest robbery committed against an individual in France in over two decades, with the thieves making off with a combined haul worth about 9 million euro or $10.8 million. Yeah, for a bit of context, homejacking was certainly on the rise in France at this time. The Paris police chief actually gave an interview to Vanity fair after everything happened and said that old rich people were very vulnerable to it at this point in time. He also said all business owners, restaurant owners who have cash at home, it's quick and you can get a lot of money in a very short time. Now, he said although homejackings have plagued France for many years, the new wave that they were seeing around this time was perpetrated by a new type of gangster. They are smart, clever, and they know how to follow someone on the internet. They can also use violence sometimes even when it's not necessary. Yeah. So let's explore how exactly did everything unravel in Kim Kardashian's case. She was alone in her room in her apartment when she was robbed. Her husband Kanye and her children were back in New York. Her sisters were 
had travelled with her to Paris, so Courtney, Kendall, some of their team even, like hairstylist Jen Atkin, were in the same city but they were out partying at a nightclub when this all happened. Yeah, and a lot of people were asking questions in the days after this robbery why Kim's bodyguard Pascal wasn't with her when everything went down. After all, he was always by her side, especially in the days leading Mm. up to the robbery. She'd even posted an Instagram story laughing about the fact he always – gets in her shot because he's always like on her tail because he's always there now pascal was actually with courtney and kendall at the nightclub that evening a source told people it wouldn't be that strange for pascal to be dispatched to be with courtney or other family members once kim was safely in her residence and he regularly provides security for the whole family not just kim yeah the only member of kim's entourage who was nearby at the time of the robbery was actually fashion stylist simone harouche who was sleeping in a neighboring apartment As we mentioned earlier, Courtney and Kim had been at an industry dinner. After midnight, a black Mercedes van had left that party and returned Kim to that no-name hotel. She was back in her hotel room at around 1am. Yeah, the first sign that anything was awry was reportedly a text from Simone to Courtney when Courtney was out, which read, who is here with Kim? I just heard her say, Take whatever you want. Yeah, according to the police report that Kim Kardashian filed almost immediately after the robbery, which was obtained by a French newspaper, we can piece together almost a blow-by-blow account of what transpired in that Paris apartment. Yeah, in her interview with police, Kim said she was alone in her room after deciding not to go out clubbing with the others. She said, I heard a noise at the door, like footsteps, and I shouted, who's there? No one answered. Through the door, I saw two people arrive, plus the nightman who was tied up. Mm, I think for many people, this is so interesting, this one detail, that there was really just like a night manager downstairs. There wasn't really security. And for a hotel that was so used to housing A-list celebrities you would naturally presume that there was something a little bit more robust than just a guy sitting at the front desk. Yeah, well, according to Vanity Fair, more a home than a hotel, it was apparently a prime target for a homejacking with lack security, no CCTV cameras so that guests could come and go in privacy and a code on the entrance door that an employee would say is known by all because it had allegedly not been changed in six years. (sighs) So all these robbers or all these thieves needed to get into the hotel was to know the code really yeah or there wasn't like any major levels of security so they really just needed to tie up unfortunately this one doorman to really get through a few weeks after the attack the concierge or the doorman who was also handcuffed and bound next to kim kardashian actually gave an interview with the daily mail he said the ordeal began at 2 35 a.m when three men dressed in police uniforms appeared at the glass doors within the hotel complex yeah his quote reads like this i was behind the desk the glass door was closed but not locked and they told me to open the door making a motion behind the door i saw the police uniforms the hats also the jackets with reflective badges like all police have all perfect so I came to open it and when I opened it they grabbed me and handcuffed me in the first few seconds I thought they were policemen making an arrest I told them I'm working here what's wrong after that they questioned me where is the security video at that time I knew it was a robbery 
Kim confirmed to police that detail that the men were donned in police uniforms while another disguised his appearance with ski goggles. She recounted them yelling at her in French and her sitting up in bed. She said, it's the one with the ski goggles who stayed with me. He demanded with a strong French accent, my ring. It was on the bedside table. It is worth $4 million. Yeah, she continued, they grabbed me and took me into the hallway. I was wearing a bathrobe naked underneath. Then we went in the room again and they pushed me on the bed. Yeah, Kim spoke about this incident later with a really widely watched interview with David Letterman and she said it was at this moment she actually feared she might be sexually assaulted. This is what she said. He grabbed me and pulled me towards him, but I wasn't wearing anything underneath. So I was like, okay, this is like the time I'm going to get raped, like just deal, like it's this is it's going to happen, you know, like just prepare yourself. So I did, and then, I don't know why I'm crying. I've talked about this before. Um, but then he tied me up with um, handcuffs and then zip, zip ties and then duct tape. And then duct tape my mouth and my eyes. And before he had my eyes, he had, he, I saw, I mean, before he duct taped my eyes, because that was the last thing, he, um, I saw he found my whole jewelry box. Yeah, super intense and harrowing quotes from Kim there. She continued and said, I kept on looking at the concierge because I didn't know who he was. And I'm like, what is happening? Are we going to die? Just tell them I have children. Like I have babies. I have a husband. I have a family. I have to get home. Yeah, she said she was using the concierge as a kind of translator because she didn't speak French. And it didn't appear at this point that the robbers spoke English. She said, I saw him have a gun held out to me and I was like, okay, this is it. And I just kept thinking about Courtney. I kept thinking she's going to come home and I'm going to be dead in a room and she's going to be traumatised for the rest of her life. After the men had secured millions of dollars worth of jewellery, they returned downstairs to where more members of their group were standing guard by the front door. Once they were all back together, they fled the scene on bicycles. Now, these were not motorbikes. These were not cars. These were push bicycles, which is an important detail we'll return back to in episode two. Yeah, because it's a strange detail, but it becomes obvious later why they chose bicycles as their mode of transport out. Kim later described the ordeal as seven or eight minutes of torture to David Letterman. According to reports, her bodyguard Pascal arrived back at the residence within a few minutes of the thieves escaping. Yeah, Courtney, looking back on this night, said that while she was at the nightclub, she got a call from Kim and Kim was heard down the line just yelling, help me, come and help me. Kendall said she found out because of Jen Atkin, their hairdresser and hairstylist, who ran up to her at the club and told her that Kim had been robbed. Kendall said she burst into tears straight away. Yeah, both sisters ran straight to Kim and said they arrived in like five minutes, pulling up outside the hotel almost at the same time as police. Kendall said that that kind of detail actually made it hard for them to get up to Kim's apartment because they were really starting to cordon things off Mm. and start to sort of protect the space. To make matters harder for Kim, she said she found it particularly difficult when police turned up because the thieves were dressed in police gear initially too. So it would be hard having this happen to you by people that were saying they were police and then having police have to come up and 
fix it and investigate. It'd be discombobulated. Yeah, for sure. Eventually, when they made it up to the apartment, Kendall and Courtney said they found Kim sitting in the fetal position, bawling her eyes out. In the police report we quoted earlier, Kim told police that she wasn't injured but wanted to, and I quote, leave and go back to my children in the United States. A private plane is waiting for me at the airport. Now, Zara, hearing the details of what happened to Kim Kardashian, you would think the public would be full with empathy and condolences for any person who goes through something like that. That was not what happened because when Kim's robbery broke in the media, she was not met with sympathy. Instead, she was met largely with scepticism. There was a lot of scepticism, but we will talk all about that on the next episode of Scandal, as well as working out and finding out who the hell did this to Kim Kardashian. Who the hell did it? I can't wait to talk about it with you all. It was a delight researching this one with you, Zara. I know it's not often you and I have the time to do these ones fully ourselves, but this has been really interesting and we have so much still to talk about. So that's all next Monday. Yay, we'll be back in your ears on Thursday. Bye. Bye. Shameless Media. This podcast was recorded on Wurundjeri land. Always was, always will be Aboriginal land.